Hi there, I'm John Underhill, and this is the Red Special Guitar Podcast. Hello everyone. Firstly, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, then welcome. And if you've tuned in before, well, thank you very much for coming back. And I just want to say a thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast so far. The first episode has been listened to 207 times at the time of making this recording, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And I want to thank you all for your support and for listening. If you're enjoying what you're hearing and you want to make sure you don't miss a new episode when it's uploaded, then please subscribe to the channel and make sure to check out the Facebook page and Instagram for discussion and behind-the-scenes shots from the podcast. This week, though, I'll be talking to another friend of mine, Jonathan Planner, who I caught up with a few weeks back. Now, we discussed Jonathan's own journey with music, from buying his first drum up until finally owning his own Red Special, where his forum handle Tog comes from, and owning Buddy Holly's Stratocaster. Or not. Good morning, Jonathan, or good afternoon. Uh, it is morning, so we'll say... It is morning, just, yes. Say hello and welcome to what is episode two of the brand new shiny Red Special Guitar Podcast. The Rustins has no dents in it on this podcast just yet. <laughs> hello, nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, just for those listening in um, the coronavirus pandemic, we are actually talking via Zoom, so... Jonathan has the unfortunate thing of seeing my ugly face whilst yeah. he talks to me. We are both wearing masks, though, so we're all right. Yep, excellent. <laughs> um, <laughs> so today we've got Jonathan on because he is, one, a I consider a good friend of mine in the Red Special community and a good friend of mine outside of that, too. And two, he has a really extensive history with Queen. He has a couple of Red Special replicas, probably more than a couple. He's probably got some hidden away that he doesn't want his wife to know about. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's smiling a bit too much now. Um, so I thought we would start off. Jonathan, do you want to tell us about how you got into Queen and why the Red Special and what it means to you? It started, I guess, many, many years ago. My oldest school friend um, from about age four um, got into Queen probably very early on. I would imagine certainly just at the end of the first album, if not the uh, start of the second album, probably. And I can remember visiting his house and him playing me things like Seven Seas of Rye and I was sort of interested. I hadn't really quite got into music at that point and I, I liked it and I thought, yeah, that's, that's, that's quite nice. But I wasn't really overwhelmed at that point by music generally and my life was sort of, I was doing different things, I guess. And it was almost as if Queen kept popping up in my life without me really understanding why or where. Um, several other people also started to follow them around that sort of time and I don't think it was until really I noticed Bohemian Rhapsody come out that I suddenly thought like everybody at that point it was it was omnipresent it was in the charts for nine years or whatever it was and you couldn't avoid it and so I was I was constantly hearing this song and constantly thinking this is this is quite an interesting creative band and maybe I should sort of find out a little bit more and then I kind of I still left it a little bit after that before I bought any albums and then another very very good friend of mine um, said you've really got to hear this stuff and started playing me tracks like Good Company um, other tracks from The Night of the Opera and that was the point I thought I've really you know yeah I've got to go and go out rush out and buy an album and listen to this 
and I suppose probably within about um, 10 weeks or so of doing that, I'd bought all the albums they'd got at that point, and I was completely obsessed, completely obsessed with it. So we, as a, as a group of kids at school and stuff, we were, we were somewhat um, odd from the uh, other guys, I guess, who everyone was into football and everything, and we were into this band that wasn't particularly popular at the time and wasn't particularly fashionable at the time. Everybody was doing other things, and as music crept on, it was punk and it was um, Scar and all sorts of other bits and pieces, and, and we were still very much into Queen. There's a small group of us. And I think it wasn't until we got to about uh, end of the 70s uh, we started thinking about let's going to go and see them and so we ended up booking a um, concert tickets to see them at Wembley in 1980 um, and it was a very very emotional night um, because it was the night after John Lennon had been shot and so um, it was one of those gigs where people were extremely happy to be seeing Queen but also still literally in shock it was probably one of the biggest I think that Freddie's dying and the Twin Towers are probably the biggest sort of news events that have, have shocked me in my time. And, uh, and the whole the whole crowd were in a complete um, sort of daze at that point. And then, of course, Queen came on and played Imagine and they were seemed to be in tears and we were all in tears. And it was a, it was probably one of the most emotional nights I can remember. But we came out of that situation and on the way home, we all sort of looked at each other and just said, we have to form a band. We've got to do something. We we just we just love this. This was this was just the most awesome night we've ever had. Um, at that point, were you aware of um, Brian's story with the guitar? Or not at all. The, the overall sound. No, or? not at all. At that point in time, I was more focused on Roger. I'd spent the entire um, night really just staring at Roger's kit and staring at Roger and just being amazed at how energetic and how full on he was. Um, we just, I'd recently bought, well not really, I'd, I'd fairly recently bought the Live Killers double album and so I was obsessed with listening to him at that point and less so Brian right at that moment and so that was where I kind of started thinking um, Queen was a band that I really was going to be following for the kind of the rest of my life I suspect uh, and I was very very keen on the whole band as such in terms of how they created the songs and what they were doing and we were trying to we were trying to work out ways in which we could do something in a, in a similar sort of vein um, and the guys went away and said well we're going to go and buy guitars and so that kind of left me in a situation of right well I'm definitely going to have to buy the drum kit then because I was the one who was obsessed with that so um, I think we then set about doing some recording uh, without instruments as you all do at that age when you're all kids you know mother's pots and pans and somebody bought an acoustic guitar which wasn't particularly um, good but we managed to do some rough recordings with a bunch of tape recorders and put it all together <clears throat> and uh, then I was okay fine well I need to go and get some serious equipment so I went off and spent all my money on a nice shiny snare drum that was up in the local music shop got it back you haven't changed much no, over the years. No, no, I literally, I had, fi I had 50 <laughs> quid in my bank account and I spent every single penny on this drum. 
And then I got it back home and I realised I didn't have a stand or some drumsticks. <laughs> so fundamental, fundamental flaw there. So I then had to go and borrow some money from my mother and go back to the music shop rather sheepishly and said, yeah, you know that drum I bought? I kind of need those drumsticks as well. <laughs> so I went and did that. And um, not long after that, um, <clears throat> my father agreed to help out and give me some money to buy a bass drum. So we shot off to London and um, he had an old Jag at that point. And we were, he was driving up and down Shaftesbury Avenue, dropping me off at various music shops. And everyone was saying, no, you can't, you can't have, you can't have a, um, a drum kit, a, a drum on its own. You've got to go and buy the whole drum kit. And I didn't have any money to do that. And I walked into the last one, which happened to be Rose Morris. And at the top floor, they said, yeah, we've got behind a cupboard, we've got some old drums. We'll have a look and see what's in there. And lo and behold, as soon as they opened the door, there was this absolutely enormous silver sparkle bass drum, identical to what I'd seen Roger playing a few months before. Yeah. It was just like, it was that sort of awe-inspiring moment. You could hear the angels singing as I saw this thing out there, you know. So then I had to, the absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I then had to struggle with this thing down Shaftesbury Avenue and try and get it into the car, which it wouldn't get in. The, it was too big to get in the doors. It was ridiculous. So we had to try and stick it in the boot and, t and string the boot together and drive all the way back out to home again with this thing in the back. You know. And it sort of went from there. But it's not long after you start as a drummer, you suddenly realise you can't actually write a song on a drum kit. You need to, you know, if you want to be able to write, so you've got to learn to do something else on a guitar. And so that was when I started thinking, you know, if we're going to be a band, we want to go and do some recording, we want to write our own stuff. I've got to do something. I've got to go and get myself a guitar. And obviously at that point, I started focusing a little more on what Brian was doing. And, then I, and when you started to dip into it more, I realised how much of a standout guitarist he was from anybody else that was on the scene at that moment. I mean, I really, it, there was, and I, I, I can remember literally thinking to myself, I don't understand how I didn't notice this before. Every other band, every other guitarist is, is just playing a song very basically. There, there's hardly any harmonies. There's no, and I, and I realised the depth of the music. It, I really hadn't appreciated quite how, you know, I like the, the the smoke and the flare and the glamour and Freddie and all of the sort of bang and bluster of Queen, but I hadn't really appreciated until that point just how musical they were, and it gave me a whole new perspective on music. It gave me a whole. I, I was completely obsessed with how he constructed the chords. And the, and the harmonies and how he got the sounds out of the guitar I still at this point didn't know he wasn't it wasn't a guitar that he'd just gone into buy in a shop I had no clue about the guitar yeah there was very little information did, about it at that point did, did you start re-listening because I mean I, I, I do it myself I'd listen to a Queen track and even today I'll listen to Queen songs and I prefer listening to them through my headphones these days because you pick out things you didn't absolutely hear absolutely time. yeah I mean um, you know we all I think in those days, we all had our vinyl albums up in our bedrooms and we would sit there for hours and hours and hours listening to them. And it was, you know, an album was a story. An album wasn't just something you um, put a random track on. You listened to the whole album from start to finish, you know. It, and, and it was, it was, 
it was a, a, I feel sorry for kids now because they don't do that. They don't they play random tracks and you don't get that you don't get that interesting sort of the band starts with a, you know the theme of each album. You don't have all of that. And you can't I mean there is it is listening to something like Good Company under headphones is a totally different experience to just hearing it in a car on a radio or something. It's a totally different type of yeah, definitely. I mean, I and, and without, I grew up in a different era. Sorry, <laughs> <people>. um, <laughs> but I remember. I mean, I was one of those kids. I'd buy and there were tape cassettes around, and CDs were just starting to come in when I started listening yeah. to music. So, I my first cassette of Queen was um, Greatest Hits. But I remember when I started earning money properly, and I went out and bought a day at the races, and a night at the opera. And you listen to each song, and they blend into the next song, and it takes you on this journey. Yeah. And you almost have to every time. I can't listen to it now without listening to the whole thing from start to finish. Yeah. yeah. I have to listen to the whole album, so I don't often listen unless I've got the time to sit down and listen to that whole album. I I don't tend to just dive into one of those songs because, to me, it, one it doesn't take me back to when I and that sort of that eureka moment of, wow, this is amazing. I've never heard an album that does this sort of song into the next song into the next song and it's sort of playing with your emotions and how you mm. feel and then it, off it yeah. goes it's, it's a real to me anyway from what you were saying it was like a completely ear opening it was experience. completely yes it was and the other thing I liked about it was that every album bar maybe A Night of the Opera and Day at the Races had a totally different feel to it um, and you never knew what you know there were, a new album was coming out so the first album that came out when I was a, a true dedicated Queen fan, where I was was obviously uh, the game. That was the point when I'd really, you know, had definitely decided that it was going to be. Uh, that was the band I was going to really sort of follow the most, I suppose. And that was a complete turnaround from anything that I'd heard before from them. Um, and every and every album from that point on also changed a little. There were different things. So it was something that other bands just didn't do. Uh, so that's really what get me hooked. It kept me interesting every because they they surprised me every time, and that was something that I wasn't really expecting from a band. You kind of, you know, these days you still get a lot of criticism. I think from people saying, "Well, they didn't do the same as they did last time." But that was one of the whole reasons that I liked them because they didn't do exactly the yeah. same thing. So you know, uh, so yeah, no, that was that was it really. I think it was it was the fact that they kept they kept changing, and kept trying to do new things. I mean, I can't. It, when Hot Space came out, I can't even tell you how much they got slagged off by the press for doing something totally. But I, I absolutely loved it at the time because it was completely, again, it was it was completely different. And I, you know, you still had all the other albums. You had Jazz and you had News of the World and Queen Two, so it wasn't like they wiped those away. And you know, it was just something else. Definitely, and I think that um, you know, you you look at if you go through all of their albums throughout the years and you then you learn and you start to dig deeper into the Brian May story and the Red Special story and you realise that most artists would have been like oh I need I need a, I need a Fender Stratocaster for this album because we're playing a different different style yeah. I need to use a Gibson Les Paul on this or I need to use an SG or I need to use a Rickenbacker or a, an acoustic and what always amazed me was that realisation that hang on apart from like maybe two or three songs he's playing that same red chunky guitar he did yeah. with his dad and it it sounds different, and it sounds it sounds like Brian May, and it sounds like the Red Special, but it it's different yeah. than it was last time. And then all of a sudden you're like, 
hang on, he's brought out another style of music now with the same guitar and the same equipment that we all know now what he's using that we wouldn't have known back then. And he's made it sound different again. Yeah. And that, to me, is amazing because it's it's really hard to be creative with the same tools. Yeah. Unless you are truly creative and then you can use yes. those tools to recreate whatever you want to. And I think that is a mark of a of a master craftsman. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Which I think Brian yeah, is. It, it completely inspired us. Um, we tried to go down the same road. We decided that uh, the two of us in the band, uh, there were three of us at that time, and, and two of us decided it would be interesting to try and build a guitar. We didn't have the technology or the ability to do it, so we sort of fumbled around. We, we built an amplifier. We built other bits and pieces. We, <laughs> we, 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 we've managed to construct some electronic drums right, an electronic uh, a trigger shall we say that we, we would try the reality was you couldn't actually <laughs> we were somewhat further away from being able to do this properly than brian it has to be said we instead of being able to actually hit the pad i had to actually strike the screw on the side of the box to get it get it to nice. trigger there was so <laughs> which was quite difficult i'll be honest with you to hit with the drums so yeah i mean it, it, that whole you know build your own guitar build your own amplifiers build your own treble boosters all this sort of stuff was something that once we started to understand that was what he'd done we were really keen to try to do something similar but it was it was just not something that we we didn't have the skill set to do it at that time and i think uh, when we first realized what that brian had done that there were there were no plans available there was no there was no internet there was no there were hardly any books it was an occasional mention in a magazine that brian had constructed his guitar and it was a slightly fuzzy shot you would get you couldn't really see too much of the detail so it was it was it was completely impossible uh, but i would walk past guitar shops and you'd see something from burns or something from hofner or something like that that had similarities to it and you'd sort of think oh gosh you know i mean i you know i can remember when i first saw uh the first you know, the 84 um guild copy and i i you know i was i was ready to flog my house to Go and you know I'd literally I'd, I'd literally I was literally in a situation at that point where I was supposed to be buying a house, and you know I was I think this thing was two and a half thousand pounds or something I can't remember, um, and it was a shop in Birmingham and, and my friends literally had to sort of pull me out of this shop because I was I was ready to just get get like five credit cards together and try and get this. Um, and I still wish I had. I have to admit, but I never did. <laughs> I never did. So yeah, it was it was something that completely uh, you became completely obsessed. And the more you understood about it, and the more you read about Brian, the more I I realised. You know, every, I I took interest in all the sort of things he did, from astronomy to animals to everything, all of those sort of things. I just I realised that the, the guy as a whole was somebody that I really identified with, and he you know he felt the same about a lot of the things that I do. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it was it was a fantastic journey. Is, um, do you remember the point at which you you learned that he'd constructed the guitar that he not only used? I mean, I, I say this quite a lot to people, and you probably get fed up with me <laughs> saying this on the podcast. But yeah, like his guitar is so unique in one that he made it with his father, and and two, as an artist, most artists will use something in the studio, and then when they go live, they they won't take that same instrument. In for fear of losing yeah. it or it losing that magical mojo, they they stick it in a case and they, they buy three variants yeah. of it from Fender or Gibson or they have them made and then off they go around the world with those and they come back and when they record they use that instrument. Yeah. I, I don't think I can remember the 
the exact moment that I found out about that. I remember somebody telling me um, early on that it was constructed, he'd constructed his own instrument. And I, and that was, I think, that was fairly soon after I'd seen them in this, uh, in live. And I kind of poo-pooed it. I kind of thought, no, don't be silly. You know, that, that, no, that doesn't... You, a, 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 somebody at that sort of level and that status would not have made their... I, 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 remember, I remember denying it. I can't remember if it was just before or just after we'd gone to see them in 80. Um, but then I started to pick up a little bit more interesting uh, information about it and I started to try to do some research. But it really, really was pretty well impossible to do at that point. Um, yeah. So it, you kind of, you know... And frankly, it was hard to even work out what type of a kit Roger had. There was very little information about that. I wanted, you know, as a drummer, I wanted to try to build up this kit. And there, you couldn't get information on sizes. I knew it was Ludwig, that was about it. And you were guessing, I was looking at the... Um, the pictures in the back of um, Live Killers trying to work out, you know, well, that's got to be at least 15 by 15 or whatever. And you just, the bass drum just looked in all. And of course, it wasn't, it was only later on you realised that the bloody thing had been made for him in the first place. So, you know, it was a special order. Yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't, that's why you never saw it in the, you know, in the high streets. Yeah. No, it's funny, isn't it? We all go through this where we, I don't know, you sort of assume that everything is is out there and then it isn't. And you kind of, that realization and then your own want to create your own journey to to attain that thing yeah. to try and replicate or to to do it so yeah it, it becomes a bit of an obsession unfortunately or fortunately because i would say that this obsession of ours has joined us all together absolutely now. more than yeah totally and i think it is it's something that um, you meet a lot of interesting people you have a lot of interesting discussions and it's probably something that's uh, given me more pleasure than anything else I can think of really in life, really having a, a, a love of music, a love of a particular band. And, a, and a, there's, I've liked everything about them from the way that they created their music to the way they put on a show, to the type of things they wrote about in their songs. Um, all of that was something that I found absolutely fascinating and nobody else did it you know i like lots of other bands um most of the 70s sort of bands but none of them really hit the mark with me in the same way so yeah absolutely i i it, it's you know i thank i'm thankful every day that um i've got something that's a healthy interest that i can you know it doesn't really help the bank account very much because you end up buying loads of shit um <laughs> but no i i, I think it's fantastic yeah. i i i you know i I look at my uh, other friends who don't have these sorts of interests. They don't understand why I'm quite as obsessed as I am at all. But um, I'd far rather be doing this than watching football matches or something. It doesn't, it doesn't you know, I can't do that. It doesn't. No, de 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 <laughs> definitely. I think it's, um, I don't know, it's, for me, this the, um, the story of the, the, the guitar and, you know, you, you hark back to where we are today or, where we are today with the different forums and the big groups of people we get together and the meetups that we've had and you think that that's all stemmed from a father and son mm. back in the early 60s yeah. with some scraps of wood deciding can't afford a guitar going to build one um how different we all might be if they hadn't done oh, that yeah and it's uh, inspired us in all all, all different yes. ways to do different things no totally totally i mean I, you know if i had my time over again i would almost certainly try to focus all energies on going into some sort of music career somewhere down the line, uh, whether it would be on the behind-the-scenes recording side, because I've always been fascinated about doing that, or whether it would be 
playing. I don't know. I think, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that there's nothing that gives me quite as much pleasure, really, as being able to sit on a stage and play and entertain people. Um, I love it in the band. We've been playing together now since 1981, and um, we don't do a lot of gigs a year, but we do a handful all the way through that time. Uh, 99% of the stuff we do is really charitable over the years so it's usually raising money for some sort of cancer charity or something along those lines I think I've earned I think I've earned about 200 pounds or as a band we've earned about 200 pounds as, as you know in nearly 40 years of playing together you, you're doing yeah, well then absolutely yeah we exi- <laughs> this is you know and we, <laughs> if we if we wanted to find out any more about the band, Jonathan, where, where and when you might be playing, how would we do that? Um, well, we have a Facebook page, and that's um, Just Kidding. Search Just Kidding on uh, Facebook. You should be able to find it. We don't do a tremendous amount of promotional work because most of the stuff that we do um, is, as I say, it's we have a bunch of charities that we kind of support that every year we play, and it's usually around bucks um, around that sort of time, although we have done up and down the country and various different events. Um but yeah, check out Facebook, uh, justkidding.com. I think it should be there and you should be able to find it. And um, Jonathan not only plays the drums, he also wields a couple of red specials Indeed. when he's playing live. Indeed. So if you're a fan of the guitar and you want to hear it in a different setting, oh, yeah, then yeah. certainly recommend checking them out. <clears throat> yeah, we, um, that was one of the things. I, I We do tend to swap around a little bit as, as a band on instruments and things and we try to play different things, but I always wanted to be in a situation where I had a... A scenario where I could actually come out front and play and do a bit of guitar work as well um, and so that because I considered myself a little bit more of a just a musician rather than just a drummer as it were because <laughs> I just thought I'd get that in there and <laughs> you're not going to spontaneously combust no, 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 no. Um, so yeah absolutely so I tend to it takes me like forever to get everything set up because I'm bringing in amps and I'm bringing lights and I'm bringing a massive bloody drum kit and stuff so yeah it takes me forever but it's that's what gives me you know that's what gives me a huge amount of pleasure part of it is the collecting and buying the equipment and uh what have you and, and trying to work out how to try to get as close as possible to brian's sound has been a hugely fascinating and interesting journey and you learn all the time and there's every tiny little detail um that people obsess we all obsess over has been absolutely fascinating and i'm 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 fairly close now to how he actually sounds it is really just the fingers now that let me down <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't know what you're no. talking about, about uh, <laughs> obsessing over parts absolutely <laughs> certainly not this group of people that will be listening to this um so <laughs> going back to um you, you saw the guild and you you didn't quite you weren't allowed to buy it at the time so your own journey with the red special itself and acquiring one um how does that come to you ending up with the two two well the, the two dance hands you've got now and the the super? Um, I I originally bought just a um, a cheap Epiphone guitar to learn to play on, and that was fine at the time. It was it was the nearest thing. I could, it was a round shape that was reddish, and it seemed to sort of look a little bit like the Red Special. So that's the reason I bought that to learn on. But I couldn't, it, it, it was totally out of the question to buy the Guild at the time. And I was just in one of those situations where every time something happened, every time I saw one, and every time, and when they released the next version, it was always at a point when I just couldn't afford to buy it at the time. It was, you know, I wanted to, if there'd been a, a version that was a 
few hundred quid, then absolutely I would have snapped it up at that time. Or if I'd had the ability to make it, I would have. So I was never in that sort of situation. So every guitar I was buying was I'd bought a, a red Strat, I'd bought a red Telecaster. Um, you know, it was it, it it was just trying to do something that was looked a little bit like it. And then obviously the first one that I was actually able to get hold of was the Burns, and I was put my name on the list as soon as I knew that there was going to be a Burns guitar coming out and I was absolutely this this guitar was just awesome when it arrived finally um, I think it's number 80 on the Burns list it was I got it in 2001 and um, yeah it's a it's a it's a lovely guitar I I played it and played it and played it and played it and um, and then it was a question of trying to work out why I still didn't sound like Brian and and then <laughs> you start to then realize that actually you know probably more of the tone from that guitar is coming from the amp and that the amp is adding so much that the characteristics of an AC30 makes such a big difference to the tone I was I was still carrying around a Fender amp and hoping that that was going to sound a bit like it and I still hadn't really worked out too much about how much of an influence the treble booster had I knew it was there but it was one of those things that again you didn't really you didn't really appreciate quite how much of an influence it had and um and during that time, um, there were various other... I remember seeing a an RS Customs guitar in um, Denmark Street. And again, that was like £3,500 at the time. And it was just... I was in a... Every single penny I had was still going to pay mortgages and you know all this sort of stuff and I just had a, a daughter at that point and it was impossible you, you couldn't you couldn't do that if I'd have, well you know it'd, it'd be I'd have had to have sold the car to do it sort of thing it would have been ridiculous um <laughs> so again you know these things just never it never quite fell into place that there was a guitar available that I could afford that was a decent sort of copy but to be fair um I really think the Burns was a great guitar at its time and a great value I really do I think it's I think it was a standout instrument of, of that sort of side um it was for me far closer to um what I wanted to sound like than anything else I had uh, or had seen at the time I couldn't you couldn't get anywhere near those set of sounds with any other guitar certainly not with the equipment that was available at the time um so then the long journey started of trying to piece together the whole equipment really and buying amplifiers and getting you know collecting thousands of treble boosters and things of this nature and um falling falling down the rabbit hole absolutely yes um there was i then found out about the plans to do the, the super and again um it was still it seemed a little bit out of out of my reach at that point and then you get to a point in life where things just become a little bit easier um you've reached a level in your career where maybe there's a bit more you know bit more money floating around you've suddenly you've had a few promotions you've done well you've done whatever hopefully and and you start to get, become a little bit more comfortable and you get a little bit more disposable income and of course at that point that was happening with me but the um the super was not uh, being built at that point anymore so I was then in a situation where I had some money in the bank and I could have gone out and bought one but there wasn't one to be had um, the Guyton guitar at the time that they were starting to do again was fantastic, but again it was you know that was another huge leap. It was six thousand pounds, so you know you just get to a point where you could do what are they doing? Then they double the you know double the price. <laughs> so it was like it was always just slightly unobtainable. Um, 
I'm sure someone was watching your bank account. I, and, oh, you can nearly afford think, yes. oh, we'll put the I think that's literally, <laughs> yeah, that was literally what happened, I suspect. So, yes, it was, it was, I put my name down. I got in touch with BMG and said, you know, I want a super. And I probably waited at least three years, I think it was, um, if not, if not yeah. longer, before eventually I got an email to say, we are looking, are you genuinely interested? Um, and I still waited another probably 15, 18 months from that point on, I think, before it actually arrived. And it was, again, it was one of those awe-inspiring moments when I lifted up and opened the case and there, were, there it was with the tremolo, everything in place and as it looked. Um, and, I remember, and Barry Morehouse actually came and delivered it to my house which I thought was a nice, a nice touch. I was, I was hoping he was going to bring Brian, but <laughs> but it was that was quite a nice touch. So he brought that in, and I remember him. You know, I just it was well, you're like a kid in a candy shop. I just I couldn't. I, I just wanted to sit and look at this thing. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't even lift it out of the case for about ten minutes. I just stared at, it. and he was. I was offering him a cup of coffee, and you know, we were having a chat, and he just. I think he thought I was a complete lunatic. I think he thought I didn't couldn't I I didn't know how to play it. I think he thought I was just because he, he said and he said to me, "You do play in a band, do you?" I said, "Yes, yeah, I play drums and guitar." He said, "You're a drummer. Hang on a minute, you're a drummer." <laughs> he couldn't quite get his head around. It. Anyway, so I I wasn't going to sit and try and demo it in front of him. I had, that was that was just not going to happen. So I sort of just I just remember resting it on the sofa and taking lots of photographs of it. And he was like, "Well." Good. Okay. Glad you like it. <laughs> he sort of walked out of the door slightly sideways, and I don't think he thought that I was, you know, some lunatic had bought this guitar. Um, but yeah, it was. It was just I was completely awe-inspired by this thing, and that coincided with the point when I suddenly found the Red Special Forum. Um, I yeah. think I was on I was on Queen Zone and various other and Queen Online and all this sort of stuff. And I think it was Mike Ride who found me on one of those and said, "Oi, you're you're interested in guitars? Come over and look at this website and see what you know. Have a look and see. There's a, there's a bunch of us over here, because there really wasn't. You know, there were lots of Queen fans, but they were obsessive over stuff that just didn't quite interest me at that time. So then to find that there was a whole group of people that were really obsessed with the guitar was just awesome. Yep. Absolutely awesome. We bet." It's um, it's funny because we'd obviously, I mean, I've been around the forum myself since before the Burns guitars came out, and previously to the Red Special forum, it was on Brian May World forum. Um, but it kind of got changed and made to, made its way to the Red Special forum. And for a long time, we thought that we like the group of the core group of us there, we were the only yeah. ones. And then you'd start to have people like yourself join, and you're like, oh, there's another yeah. one, and. The, there's more people interested, and well, there's even more people coming now that are interested in the same thing we are from all around the country, all around yeah. the world, and it's, I guess it, it's some kind of validation as well that you're not the only crazy people in the world that obsess over a guitar. But um, for anyone that hasn't been to the Red Special Forum, it's still around. Um, www.redspecialforum.com, I think is the right yes. thing. If not, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> but um, well worth heading over if you want to learn any more details about the Red Special. Um, especially some of the specifics there's some fantastic information over there as well as a facebook forum but based on the same however if you want the real detail i'd say head to the web forum rather than the facebook yes forum. yeah yeah you you arrived and i remember um your name your handle is tog what what does tog stand for <laughs> that actually came out of um many years ago i joining the various forums that were online 
and I was, um, <laughs> this is a guilty pleasure, I suppose, but <laughs> I was just uh, a very avid Terry Wogan fan at that point. I woke up every morning with him first thing on the radio, and he and he, a lot of his his fans were called Togs, Terry's old gits. So that was, <laughs> so I just used yeah. that. I couldn't think of, I, when I, you know, when you signed in, I didn't, at that point, I thought I'm not going to put my real name in, um, because they're, particularly in Queen's Zone, there was, <laughs> it was a, a mire of interesting characters there. So, yes. <laughs> so I thought, we'll go incognito in this. So Tog became the name that I used um, all the way through. Um, and yeah, so I joined the, the I joined the Red Special Forum at that point. I mean, I, I think like a lot of people, I'd seen, you know, I was a fan club member. And so I'd seen various people that had uh, presented Brian with copies of his um, guitar that they'd made and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I think I'd even... I think I'd even actually sent an email to Greg Fryer um, about whether or not he would be making copies saleable to the public. And then I think I got a response back of, yes, I am, but it's going to be 10 grand or something. Like that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, you know, that was that was the point. Of then I, you know, then I became completely rabbit hole obsessed, as you do very quickly when you realise all of the little things that, you know, I was really, really pleased with the Super. I thought the Super was fantastic. And then you start noticing and seeing all the little slight um, elements of it that were just slightly different. And you become, you know, and then, and then that opens up Pandora's box, doesn't it, of a complete, where do you go from there? <laughs> and so that yeah, was the point then. So. I was very fortunate at the time uh, to just, um, I started talking to Michael uh, Danson, and he was looking at building some guitars, and I was very, very. I, the first few pictures that he sent out, I think, work he was doing, I was thought, wow, this is this is really awesome. And it's sort of, if he's going to be doing that at a price that I can afford, that's that's just fantastic. So that's when I went down that road, really. And um, I think yeah. in his first run, I ordered two guitars fairly quickly from him, um, and they are. You know, I've got quite a lot over the years. I've built up a large collection of guitars, um, but these two are hands down my favourites, without any question. Yeah. The red one in particular is just—it's the guitar I'd always, always wanted. It is built to the same spec as Brian's. It is done in the same attention to detail. It is—it feels amazing to play. I absolutely love that guitar, and I don't think I will ever find another one that I feel more connected to um it's it's every single thing about it i you know i love all of the different I, lo I still love the the burns i've still got that i still love the the yep. super but the two dancers are just just that little bit more special for me personally they're the ones i connect with the most um they feel because the super that i have is a little bit heavy it feels a little bit more like a a commercially made guitar rather than, the, the thing i like about the dancing is it's it feels like a handmade guitar it yeah. doesn't. It doesn't have that um, factory gloss, if you like, that the Super has. I think, and I think all of the the high end replicas of the Red Special that are now available. So there's, there's quite a few out there now, um, which is a fantastic time to become a Red Special fan or to to break into it because there's so much more information out there, and the guitars are, you know, they're pretty pretty spot on. Any of the high-end ones, though, that are built with the same construction methods, similar woods or same woods, using similar components, there's a certain feel that you get from a traditionally made red special with an oak core with a blockboard body, yeah. 
with a mahogany neck than you get from a mahogany body burns or a mahogany body um not saying taking anything away from those guitars because they are fantastic and the yeah. original super and the second run super are are beautiful and they're, they're really highly crafted but there's something about the woods that brian absolutely and, and harold chose in the original that don't you know no <laughs> they're not specifically tone woods and i don't think if you spoke to a luthier and said oh yeah oak and mahogany sounds really great with some pine core blockboard around it they'd be like who, yeah who are you, what are you uh, absolutely about? yeah you need a nice piece of alder or ash but there's something about it in the way that uh, way that it was designed and crafted that when you have a replica that's built faithfully even if you know it, it's just something different about it and it, when you plug it into the proper setup which i know you jonathan has about a thousand treble boosters <laughs> and he's got three ac30s and all, all of the, the bits and pieces you need to that we now know about um he certainly gets you in that ballpark that that final few percent is definitely yeah. down to you then as an individual rather than the equipment. Absolutely. It's a special yes. feeling. Yes, I mean, I think that's it. I, you know, my struggle, I think, now is now I have pretty much the same equipment that they use on stage is to really, really deeply understand how he plays and what shapes he makes with his fingers, what chord shapes he uses and how he plays and how he just where he rests his arm and how he just scrapes the index finger on certain strings those little i i really i really want to try to actually be able to recreate that and there are some people out there that are absolutely awesome players in our group i think of people um that play phenomenally yeah. well uh so, you know to a level that i will never attain but it's something that i um i want to try to that's the area that i need now need to try to work on personally and actually understand all the little intricacies of style that he plays um, so that's really I'm I'm sort of focusing, but no, absolutely right. The, the, I mean, the dancing for me is you can actually feel it interacting with the amp when you play it when it's on when you're on stage <laughs> and the thing is buzzing. There's a vibration in that guitar that I don't get with other guitars. Um, it it you feel it feel completely connected to the amplifier. You feel that you are, and it's the it's the nicest experience I think I've had with a guitar at any point where. You, other guitars you tend to feel a little bit more separated from the amp i think this one just for, for me anyway somebody else could pick it up and think no that's just doesn't you know i prefer my stratocaster but this just it for somehow it just seems to i can i know what it's going to do and i can i can play it and i know what it's going to feel like i don't always get my fingers in the right place <laughs> but i i you know i know how the yeah i know how the guitar is going to react and it's just you know i've got used to it i play it so i play it pretty well every day at some point yeah i like to think that when like the sort of how i try and explain it if anyone asks me, not that anyone ever really does, but when <laughs> my friends ask me, why do you like the Red Special? Because when I pick it up, it it wants to help you play it. Yeah. And because it talks to the equipment, this, again, how much of this Brian designed and how much of it just got lucky with the treble boost from AC30, but the, the combination of the three things go together that you, you're playing with the guitar, whereas when you plug into a Strat or a Gibson, my own experience is you're, you're having to really like wrangle it to get it to do what you yeah. want it to do whereas the red special seems to organically just i don't know it's difficult it sounds like mumbo jumbo really and um <laughs> no it really does it really does i've always struggled you know i've always i really liked strats 
I found them easy. The shape of them seemed to fit, um, and so I found them easier to play. I loved the way a Les Paul looked, but I just found I couldn't play them. I couldn't. It didn't. I couldn't get the sounds out of it that I wanted. Um, and I think that was a combination of buying a guitar at the time that was maybe the the sort of 90s guitars tend to have very, very aggressive pickups in them. And the thing just squealed every time I picked it up. It was just almost uncontrollable. Um, since then, I've bought some uh, custom shop guitars and they are substantially better. They're much closer to the original and it's much easier. They're much lighter. They're, they are yeah, much easier to, to manage. Um, but no, it's the guitar I always come back to is one of the four Red Specials that I own in some form. One of the, it's always one of those, uh, and like I say, I I'll still play the Burns quite happily because it's if you record them, if you AB it, there's there's really very little difference actually, you know there really is. I mean we obsess about these things. <laughs> to the point where it becomes There's definitely yeah, a difference yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what you're yeah. talking about <laughs> <laughs> but it really you know I mean you know you, you, it's the, the heart the different part from my point of view is, is that obviously just the neck size changes I think the um, I think you're right I, mean, you, I remember when the Burns came out and Brian created that um, demo yeah. on the, the website which was I mean it's actually I think it was in a guitarist magazine CD that you could yeah. buy at the time get the magazine and it came with the CD with how to sound like Brian May, and I think Simon Bradley wrote a piece um, to go with it, and then did some stuff. And you're like, "Wow, that sounds exactly the same." But for me, the real difference that I found when I, I bought one of those first Burns as well, and same similar journey to you, is like, "Oh, it's amazing! I've got a Red Special, but still don't quite sound right. It doesn't feel how I think it should." And then um, I think the, the difference, though, sorry, is that when you pick the Burns up, because it doesn't interact with the equipment you don't feel so connected so when I play I know I play better when I play the, yeah. my red special that's more faithful than when I play one that isn't just because the thing feels differently and that vibration of the body that you get when you strum any chord even when it's not plugged in yeah. is I don't know it, it seems to make me maybe whether it's in my head because I know that it's more accurate or whether it's because I know that it's reacting properly but when I pick up the more traditional one I just I enjoy it more, so I play better. Yeah. Probably, Absolutely, you you do. Happens. There's something about it. I don't know what it is. It's very interesting. As, as a band, we are a covers band these days. We stopped writing our own sort of stuff many years ago. And so we just do cover versions. And we play everything from Eagles to, you know, basically, if if somebody's going to dance to it, we'll play it. So I end up playing all sorts of things in that. I'll I'll play other guitars and other styles, acoustic stuff, all sorts of things. Um, but we always have to throw in some Queen numbers when we do anything live and i think the, the best compliment i've ever had was was a group of guitarists came up to me after one of the um shows we did and were just absolutely they you know they've never heard anybody else play queen and actually sound like brian they'd only seen people trying to do yeah. queen songs with a stratocaster or with a les paul or they'd never seen anybody actually with a copy of the red special and ac30s and everything and they were they were completely blown away with how close it sounded and it's funny it's interesting you know whenever one of the best things about when we play is is all different age ranges are up if we play if you do we will rock you you've got 75 year olds up there doing the thing at the back you know we've played people's birthday parties we did we we did a 70th birthday party for somebody and the the, the queen stuff got the most 
reaction out of anything that we did. We played 50s numbers, we played 60s numbers, but we played quite... We played, I literally had a row of octogenarians <laughs> all in front of me doing the We Were Rocky thing. It was hilarious. It was fantastic. Yeah, well, it's amazing, though, because it, it, the music touches everyone, doesn't it? And then we all have our own stories. I mean, that's partly the reason the podcasts are around, because we've all got our own stories to do with this thing and the guitar and the sound, but it just, everyone is, it, like, I don't know, everyone knows Queen songs, and We Will Rock You, We Are The Champions, Bohemian Rhapsody, yeah. a couple others I've probably missed, but it, every generation, no matter who you are, I mean, I, I work in residential care with my day job, and we play Queen songs to the residents, because whenever I go in and I'm asked to put the stereo on, I always put Queen yeah. on, and, We've got a, hundred, a lady who's 103, 102 next door. It's her birthday last week. And you're sort of thinking, surely a 102-year-old's not going to be interested. But there's, um, yeah, a little smile comes on her face when the Queen, queen stuff comes <laughs> on the radio. It's, it's, um, it's um, great. It's, it's just lovely. And my children, I've got a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old going on 21. And um, the 3-year-old, you stick any queen music on and she's up dancing yep. and they know the words and they know that brian may is the best guitarist in the world and he plays the <laughs> so that's, that's very important yeah. and i don't think the band would have been you know without that tone of guitar i mean it, I, I do genuinely consider that guitar to be another member of the band i don't think it, it, it's yep. it's it is so different to anybody else's guitar that it is queen would have been a completely different i can't really imagine them if he'd just gone out and bought himself a Stratocaster uh, or something like that. I don't see how that... I, I don't know how that would have... I'm sure it would have been fine because Brian's an amazing musician. But somehow that guitar and that combination of equipment... You know, and when you think about how, how you know, how it all came about, how the, the Deaky amplifier was just, you know, bits lying in a skip, uh, it is, it's kind of... It's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's, you know... <laughs> you could make a film just about the guitar yeah. and the... Uh... Brian's story absolutely yeah really because it is the stuff of it's a proper legend and there's no other guitarist that I know that built their own guitar either Van Halen Eddie Mm. Van Halen built the original Frankenstein but didn't use it forever and no he only really stuck stuck some bits together not taking any away from Eddie Van Halen rest in peace Eddie but um he didn't craft the sides of the guitar and carve the neck and work with it and do what Brian and Harold did. And the interesting thing is, Brian then took um, influence from Rory Gallagher and that's where he found, that's where he wanted the, that's where he found the the AC30s and that's where he, you know, the treble booster and stuff. But he doesn't sound like Rory Gallagher, even though he was influenced by it. It's again, it's a complete different, it's a completely different sound. So he he was inspired. He he said, "This is what I want." But it was only when he plugged his guitar into it that he got his unique sound. And that's really, you know, one of the things that I think is the hardest thing to do as a guitarist is to find your sound. And there is a, there's a number of guitarists out there that have a specific sound that you identify with them, and it might be Mark Knopfler or somebody. They've all got their own sort of thing, but there, there aren't many guitar sounds out there really because you st- you buy an amplifier you buy a guitar and it pretty you know the generic rock guitar sounds could be almost anybody in a lot of cases there's there's a there's a handful of people and you literally could count them on one hand who have such a distinct sound that you always know it's Brian or it's that guitarist yeah would 
And you're so right, especially with Brian, because you, you hear anything on, on the radio if you listen to it and you don't know that he's worked on a collaboration and you just like, that's Brian yeah. May. With that, yeah, absolutely. That, that's, without Shadow Without, that's Brian May, because there's only one guitar that makes that sound. Yeah. And, and that's Brian May. And it's so distinguishable from every other sound. And it's so... I always... <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hard sound to describe, but it's so... It's such a nice sound yeah. as well. Even distorted, it's nice. Yeah. To it from his jangly cleans up to the distorted sounds. It's such a nice sounding thing as well. It's not like some players have a distinctive tone, but it's shrill or it sort of like goes like cheese wire through your brain. Yeah. Some of the Absol- oh, totally. Um, yeah, some of the guitar. Yeah, a lot of guitar sounds actually, if you hear them in real life, aren't particularly musical. It's just a distortion. Yeah. It's just a. It's just a rock distortion. I mean, you. You don't see it so much these days, but you'd go into any guitar shop years ago, and there would be some kid playing "Stairway to Heaven" or something like that in the back of the guitar shop, and they always sounded the same. It was always, you know, it's harsh, ear piercing. It just didn't seem. Brian's guitar never really seems like that. It's 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 always got a warm character to it. It's always got that. Even when it's even when it's in its most out of phase shrill sound, there's something. Yeah. There's something that. It's almost like a voice, isn't it? It's it's it's, it's like it's like somebody singing. It is, and I think it's the it's when he plays rhythm, it's the filler for Queen, and yeah. especially or well, live mainly. But when when he plays a solo or plays a, a lead part, it's definitely a voice counter to Freddie. Yeah, it's um, it's certainly its own thing, and I, I think you're right. The the best way of explaining it is this that the other member of Queen is the Red Special Guitar. Yeah, without, uh, without, without, without question to me, I think it's probably added more to the band than anything else I can think of, any of the engineers or anything. It, the, the, round, the sound of the Red Special is something that you instantly identify with that band almost anywhere around the world. Um, I think people would know, even people who aren't particularly interested in music or Queen, don't follow Queen, most people can recognise a Queen song and rec- would recognise Brian playing, I think, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, but a lot of people don't realise that he built it. No, I know, which is <laughs> uh, which is absolutely yeah. I know it's all the whole thing is is completely is a, a chain of events that fell together. That uh, it was just it was seemed to be it was meant to be really. Um, and I, you know, it's as I say, I'm now fifty seven and I've spent most of my adult life um, obsessed with music in some form creating it playing it watching it listening to it um and the vast majority of that has been queen related um which is something that i'm eternally grateful for because i don't really you know it's made it's given me it's opened my eyes to all sorts of different things um from the technical aspect to learning how to play to um learning about the people themselves and why they wrote songs and looking at the in-depth why, why they wrote certain songs and what those songs mean um understanding how to construct a song properly if you're just taking the lyrics of any of the songs or any of the you know the chord progressions now it takes 15 people to write a song and 99 percent of the lyrics are repeated over and over and over yeah. again and you know Same yeah yeah and, and that you know there's 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 nobody i mean i think the Beatles touched me a lot in the 60s. If I, if I had to have any kind of a... Um, if I was following any band, I suppose, because I was actually alive at the point when the Beatles were releasing singles and stuff, that was... That was yeah, that was... They were groundbreaking at the time and they didn't write a bad song. 
they were it was incredible every time and and so it was that lyrical flowy musical content that i saw echoed in queen and no other band did that you know the beatles song you would hum you'd walk away humming love me do or whatever instantly even at six i'd be doing that quite you know you there were songs that you, and i didn't have that experience again until i really understood queen and, and got into the queen albums because again you could you'd walk away humming it and listening to it and thinking about it so you'd say the red special i mean because that's what and queen have inspired your your whole life then jonathan i think actually yes in in many ways because it's it, there's a level of perfection in what they do that I've always thought, well, if it's something, if something's worth doing, it's worth doing well and maybe slightly overdoing, um, you know, and I, and I think that's... We've heard that quote from someone. Yeah, absolutely. Before. Well, I think it's, I think it's very, you know, it, it, it is, if you're going to, if you're going to throw your energies into something, um, what's the point in doing it if you don't really give it your all? And so I think, yeah, I, I think absolutely. I've been inspired by everything that they do. I, you know, I, I, you have to recognise, obviously, that they are also a business. And so, you know, there's a, there's a large commercial aspect in everything that they do. But um, it still comes down to genuine creativity all the time. Um, you know, how they put, they put on a show better than anybody else. Like even now, you know, they're, they're, they're in their 70s and they're still able to put on a show that's better than anybody else I could think of. Definitely. It's, um, I, uh, it's an experience everyone needs to go to before... God, well, yeah. Obviously we can't no. at the moment, but it's definitely um, something I look forward to every time they say they're going to... Absolutely. And uh, you know. immediately try and buy tickets. Yeah. Yeah, some are hard, there are mm. hardcore fans out there that, that are sort of, you know, against Adam Lambert and this sort of stuff. But I, for me, I think he's absolutely perfect for them. I, you know, it's 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 a it's well, it gives me the chance to hear live that guitar again that I you wouldn't I wouldn't have got. Yeah. And that that's what I what I love so much about it too is I get to be in the same vicinity of the the guitar and yeah. the rig and the chap that made it and I get to hear that absolutely live and hear hear him hear him do something different on a different yeah. night that he's not done before because he's taking a chance on a solo or yeah. he's mixing it up slightly. I, I, the, last, uh, the last two tours, I've got there super early. I've bought several tickets to see several shows. I've stood in line with uh, everybody from like 9.30 in the morning. And I've just stood in that bloody line waiting to get let in. And then I've got to the very front and I've got to the Brian side. I've stood literally at the, the barrier and I can, you can hear the roar from his amps um, above yeah. the PA. The PA is actually almost behind you at that point. The speakers above your head are, are actually behind you at that point. So you're getting most of his guitar naturally as it is on stage. It is just bloody awesome to stand there and, and see it. <laughs> um, it it's, it's, and I, I, don't, you don't, I haven't felt like that since going to see them at Milton Keynes or something. You know, where, where, yeah. where it's, it was, it's just... It's, as soon as you, the the first note he plays, it literally it's a it's a cliche, but the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, and you just think, I mean, mm -hmm. and, and it goes. But then I'm completely I'm a completely focused and obsessed on it, and before you know it, the concert's over, and it's almost like two hours has gone past, and I haven't even known. Yeah, no, and yeah, trying to be that close is fantastic as well because you can see what he's doing yeah. and see how he makes all the different noises that he makes, not just the ones that he 
plucks the strings or when he's playing a chord, but all the other noises the guitar and amps make together, all the yeah, absolutely, all the sort of all the sort of clever tricks he's come up with over the years, using it not just as a guitar but as a percussive instrument, mm. and um, it certainly does. Every time I hear it, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Yeah, it's, and I, you know, um, I, so I'm I'm eternally grateful for the fact that they found Adam Lambert because I thought after '91. I was never going to see him again. I saw that I went to the, Trebi, the the Freddie Tribute concert, and that was amazing, but it was also, again, a hugely emotional day. Um, and I never thought I was going to get to see them again. I, I really enjoyed the same thing with um, Paul Rogers. I really enjoyed all of that. I didn't think he was the best fit, but I was more grateful with the fact that he was out there with them. And it got again, I got a chance to see them. So I went to see every tour that they've had. Um, I think Adam completely personifies the sort of um, brand style that Freddie had. Um, he's he's a different animal. He's a different. He, he sings in a slightly different way. Um, I don't really care about that. Really, I'm just glad to hear the songs, and glad to hear the people who wrote them playing them. Yeah, it's um, we're so lucky to be able to see them again, and that's the thing. It's these iconic songs being played by the people that wrote them and enjoying themselves as well. Yeah. It's, I think that comes across a lot more. But you, you got a chance recently, didn't you, to um, give something back when you gave Simon Bradley, who wrote the Red Special Book, <laughs> some information, I believe. Yeah, uh, Simon contacted me, um, and we talked about a number of different things. He, he was Every so often he would email me with a picture of something and say, can you, um, can you verify if this is correct? There were various bits and pieces that we worked on which didn't make it into the book. Um, there was going to be a potential of a chapter, I think, about other guitars that Brian had used in videos. So there was, um, I think Simon sent me a bunch of photographs of different guitars and, and we enlisted of different videos and said, can you clarify what he used in this and when he used that? Um, so we went through that, but I think then Brian decided that the book should be focused just on the Red Special and not talk about other guitars and things like that that had been used. But it was there was going to be probably a page of all the different other things Brian had used in his career, even if it was just as a prop in the video. Because um, yeah. I tell you, because quite ironically, um, I couldn't... Well, one of the things that I forgot to mention early on, when, when Queen released um, Play the Game, the video came out with Brian playing a, um, a Telecaster, that, a Stratocaster, that, that Strat copy was available in the shops at the time the satellite guitar and i have one <laughs> <laughs> well you finally got I find, one yes absolutely and then, and then i the and when i when i started playing it i realized why he threw it across the floor because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the thing the thing was more likely to electrocute you than actually make a decent sound but there you go have you still have you still got it? To this I day? do still have it, but it's in a bit of a sorry state because it died a sad death fairly um, spectacularly. I mean, it, it didn't last terribly long. I think it was sixty quid new. Um, so I, when it died, I didn't have the uh, knowledge to do anything to bother repairing it. And frankly, if I'd sent it anywhere to repair, it would have cost more than the guitar was worth. So I set fire to it. I left it outside for about, like as you do, for about, I think it left, it sat outside my house for maybe a month or so in the rain and the snow. And then I, I, <laughs> I bolted it to the uh, wall of my house 
and I put a little notice underneath it saying, Buddy Holly's original Stratocaster rescued from the plane wreckage. <laughs> <laughs> and there it so there is that for ages. But the best part about it was I got burgled um, about uh, a year after it was up on the wall. This guy, while I was out, broke into the house and climbed through the, the bathroom window and came downstairs and he cut himself on the window. And... <laughs> There were lots of bloody foot um, handprints all over the guitar where he was trying to pull the thing off the off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> the police found this hilariously funny that some guy had actually read oh. by a little plaque and thought genuinely it was a real Stratocaster. <laughs> so, yeah, he never managed to get it off Excellent. the wall because I'd literally bolted it there like a sort of uh, a, a hard rock cafe thing, you know. Um, but yeah, so that, that but it's still it's still around. It's in it's up in the loft at the moment, and it's it's all burnt. And it looks like it's something that Jimi Hendrix has you know set fire. It's a but yeah, it's still there. You can't really tell it's the same guitar. You'll have to make it to. A, you'll have to bring it to a. Red I'll bring it to a meetup. Yes, we we should string it up and try and get some electricity through it again. <laughs> Definitely. No, it'd be nice to see it just to know that it would have been the, the Buddy Holly's original the original guitar. <laughs> People used to arrive at the house and go, how the hell did you get that? <laughs> Is it, I suppose it's, uh, did the burglar run off with anything else? He took, my, all this time trying he, to... he took my video recorder. That was it. Yeah. Uh, so so there's a, it's a, a lesson there for anyone that doesn't want them to nick their expensive guitar equipment. Yes. Buy a cheap strap, burn it, leave it outside for a month, bolt it to the wall, write a little plaque under it, and your other guitar equipment will be safe. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think that, that it seemed to it seemed to work a treat. Really, it seemed to work a treat. I can't remember the the police constable's name who came, but we probably spent about twenty five minutes just laughing at the fact that this muppet muppet had spent so long trying to get. I had to repaint the wall because they were literally covered. It was blood all over this thing where he'd been yanking at it, trying to get it off the wall. You came along to the Red Special Forum a bit later on, so around the Supers coming out, that would have been in the mid-2000s? Uh, 2013, Late. my Super was... Blimey. Yeah, that was... That, I, so I joined the Forum in 2013, probably about a couple of months after I got the guitar, something like that. Yeah, and then you've been a, an absolute staunch Red Special Forum fan, and... Uh, stalwart of making it to all the meetups that have been yeah it's i really enjoy it it's great and i think like a lot of people it is about the it's about the people it's about the getting together for the meal and things like that it's nice to sit and watch all the demos and all that sort of stuff and talk to people about guitars and stuff but i think also it is the friends that you make that make it important and that's the you know hearing everybody's different stories of how they got to this point um is fun but yeah no i i I think it's it's great fun Uh, it's such a shame that this year obviously we've we're under this ridiculous situation with uh, COVID that we can't do it. Um, I'm certainly looking forward to hopefully getting back together again next year and doing it somewhere. Definitely. So we're still planning to host it as soon as we can, um, and it's safe to do so. I think that's really important. Yeah. I know I spoke to you at length over deliberating whether or not to host it again this year when, or to keep, not host it again, whether or not we should postpone it earlier or when, when we made that decision. Yeah. And, and I spoke to, to quite a few people, but took some counsel from you on it, and I think it just made sense. Uh, yeah, to... I think it was the right decision not to do it. Um, it would have been, well, you know, I think we were probably legally obliged not to do it by the time we'd we got to the actual date, didn't it? But um, 
Definitely. You know, and I still don't understand that, to be honest with you. The the rules make kind of no sense. You can sit on an aeroplane for 14 hours and fly to, you know, wherever. But but you can't go, you can't sit in a theatre, you know. You can't, you can't, no. you can't watch a show. No, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's definitely a challenging year. And I think that's why I thought we'd start a podcast and speak to some of the, the people that people know and hear everyone's stories so we can start trying to capture those conversations that I know we have and have had and are likely to have again at other meetups and some of the information and sort of nice little stories so other people can share in those conversations as well from a distance. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully make the, keep, keep the community spirit alive. But I do want to say though, and um, right now we've, we've sort of come to a natural stop. So I'm going to say that one of the the campaigns that I've started last in the first podcast is that the ultimate goal of the podcast is to get Brian May and the Red Special yes. on the podcast. Excellent. So if um, anyone if anyone listening knows of anyone who can help me do that, or Jonathan, if you are speaking to anyone that you I know you know along the the yep. way and can mention it, you you had a fantastic experience on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to lie, um, and we can get Brian on that. Would be absolutely fantastic because yeah. I'd love to ask him some of the the questions about working with his dad on the guitar and what it means to him to be still be able to hold that you know that piece of his dad in yeah. the guitar every time that he plays on stage and what that must mean to him as, as he's gotten older um because that must be fantastic yeah absolutely and i think also it's it's a way of this knowledge can't be lost there's you know there's so much knowledge in the group of people now um that you know, we we probably know more about the history of the guitar and remember more about it than Brian does in many places, yep. and that was the reason. You know, that was Simon was in that situation when he wrote the book, that he he would come and say, well, Brian Brian really doesn't remember what he did here, what he did, you know, how he, you know, because <laughs> because it's a job, you know, it, it's a job to him. It's a different, you know, for us, yep. it's an obsession. His obsession is creating the music. What bit of yep. kit he uses to use that music is almost it's not. I won't say it's not. It's irrelevant. But once he gets the sound he likes, it's more about yeah. the yeah. yes. So uh, we can't. We've got all of these things that we're doing at the moment. Things like the um, uh, with the websites and the books and this sort of stuff. This information needs to stay because at some point in the future, other people are going to be looking at this and wanting to know what happened and how it was created. Definitely, and I, I thought long and hard for uh, maybe a good six or seven months about sort of my own. I wouldn't say I'm because I host the meetups each year for those of you that don't know. So, in the UK, I host the Red Special Meetup, and earlier this year, I went to Phoenix and went to their first Red Special Meetup in the, in the US. But over there, I, I sort of felt like this responsibility on my shoulders to try and um, curate the knowledge from the meetups, but also the knowledge that we have as a group. Um, of individuals and to put it into something that's concise and I thought long and hard about how to do that I've dabbled with YouTube videos um, some of which Jonathan's seen some of the test footage but it's just a lot of hard work to put it together and make it interesting and then I thought about making a website and trying to pull everyone's information together a bit like a wiki thing and I just thought that's great but that's not really my style so my my real thing is around the people in the forum and the community that enjoy this guitar so if we could have those conversations and record them and then put them up in a place where they're there forever so yeah. if, if anyone's ever listening and, and wants to learn a bit more about, about this stuff 
if that there's some information there. Yeah, absolutely. That, that would be a better way of doing yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think it, it is something, it's important. Um, you know, in these days, everybody's online all the time and there's a lot of digital information. There's almost too much digital information out there sometimes. But I think this is somewhere there does need to be um, a lot of information stored somehow. I mean, you know, I, I discovered the other day that Queenzone is about to close down on the 1st of November. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's also, there's a huge amount of rubbish on there, but there's also some interesting stuff, which it would be a huge shame if that disappears, because once it's gone, it's gone. Um, and nobody else is going to go through that. I think that's, and I think that's my, my, I wouldn't say I'm worried about it right now, but being a moderator on the Red Special Forum and knowing what's on there and where to go to find certain information, my worry is that if we don't support this endeavour as a community about the guitar that that might one day whoever's in charge of it might not be able to refund it yeah. might not have such a big following and we might start to lose those yeah. things and I think for anyone new or anyone that's finding Queen now for the first time or anyone that's going to find this and find some videos on YouTube or find the, the, the Facebook forum and then go actually I'd really love to build a guitar because that's all I've ever wanted to do yeah. I really want to absolutely a Red Special yeah. To be able to then go and find out that you know you're not alone, and there's a load of yeah. people that have actually spent far much, too much of their life, um, <laughs> probably trying <laughs> to replicate the guitar in their own workshop or, or garage, or that have got every bit of kit yeah. Brian's ever used. Or absolutely, and you know, you, you only have to go onto the forum for five minutes, and there's somebody new almost every week that's that's literally starting that journey. And asking those questions about, you know, so does he have the center amp dry, and, and how does this work? What you know, what yep. what does the treble booster do? You know, the questions that we all asked all those years ago are still yep. being asked now by people. And one of the nicest yep. things is helping people around the world and helping people piece this together. Um, there's a couple of guys I've been helping recently with various sort of questions. Uh, I'm not technically minded at all, but I can point them in the right direction for a number of things. And it's really nice to be able to impart that knowledge and say, yeah, no, this is, you know, this is where you want to go for that and whatever. It's, it's things that you get to learn over time that we all know, but it's, again, it's, it's that information that you know, Jonathan, but that you found out from someone else that you'll pass on. But my worry is if there's ever the, the break in that chain yeah. of passing it on, that if well, there's a generation gap and then it comes back, we don't want to lose all that info. No. But you're right, helping people. And that's why to me the thing is around the people rather than um, I mean it's obviously about the guitar but the people that contribute and are part of this thing is much, to me is much more important yeah. than sort of I don't know I'm rambling there. <laughs> um, <laughs> no it is I think you know it would, it's just a, it would be a shame if all of this knowledge disappeared so I think we need to find every way we can possible to do um, keep it I'm, I'm sure you know as a group of people we will all, I'm, I'm certainly don't intend to ever be in a situation where I'm not interested in the band and what they've done and music. So I'm fairly sure that for as long as I can stand up, I shall be involved in some form of musical yeah. endeavour somewhere. Um, but, you know, we, we need to make sure that this is, this is saved so future generations can actually sit and listen to it, because they will. You know, we've got Fender guitars collected now and thought of as... And, and Les Pauls, obviously, you know, 70 years ago, people are now sort of working out and trying to understand how that history, how that guitar became so iconic. 
it will happen in ex- exactly the same way with Queen and Brian May. And I th- I th- you know, I think there's, since the Bohemian Rhapsody movie came out, there's been an insurgence in numbers in the forum on Facebook, I think nearing, I think it's three and a half to 4,000 now, yeah. and the Red Special Forum, we, you know, we've got, it did go quiet for a little bit, but we've got good conversation on there again now, mm. and it's, it's definitely brought it back to life for everyone, and the different guitars that are now available as well certainly means it's a lot more, uh, it's easier to find the information. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good time to be around, so we need to make the most of it and, and try and, I don't know, collate it all properly so that there's, it's there if other people want to find totally. it. Totally, absolutely, no, totally. Plus, plus it means I can have a chat with my mates <laughs> and I've got an excuse to. <laughs> Indeed. No, no, totally, I think so. You know, I think it's one of those things that um, um, people will obsess about just as we have for many years and... Um, if the information is in one place that we can go and look back at, brilliant. That'd be fantastic. Definitely. Right. Well, um, thank you ever so much for your time today. You're JP, very welcome. Or Sir or Jonathan. So which are all the three names that you get called? All the time <laughs> yeah. I get called a few others, I'm sure. But <laughs> yeah, well. And we've had uh, no, no dogs eating cake this time. No, there's a benefit. It's all gone... To, it's worryingly quiet downstairs, so I'm not too sure what's actually happening down there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been great to, to speak to you today, and thank you so much for your time and uh, your story and some of your bits of information. No worries. You're welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. An absolutely fantastic lesson and a great insight into your journey with Queen, Brian May, music, the Red Special and stopping thieves from stealing your gear. Make sure you check out Jonathan's band Just Kidding on Facebook to know when they're playing post-lockdown, of course. Now, I also want to remind everyone about the Get Brian May and the Red Special on the Red Special Guitar podcast campaign. So if any of you out there know Brian or know someone who can put me in touch with him or have an idea of how to get hold of him, then please, please, please let me know and email me at redspecialpodcast at gmail.com. So this is the part of the podcast where we listen to your feedback. So far, the feedback that I've received has been positive and everyone has told me that they've enjoyed the podcast. But please do let me know if there's anything missing, anything you'd like to hear or anyone that you think I should be talking to in another episode. Now, with that all in mind, and having listened to me now for some one hour and 17 minutes, it's probably a good place to end the podcast. I'm not going to be adding any technical data this week, just because it's a long podcast, and I actually think for that stuff, it's probably best to go and check out the information at the redspecialforum.com, or head over to the Facebook page and start asking some questions. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode, I know I certainly did, and keep safe, and I'll catch you in the next one.